Hello all and welcome to another episode here of Bottled Up on Wiley Radio and we are just getting stranger and stranger with the recording time so this is coming actually right after the truck race a few hours after the fact and boy if these cup races and all the other races coming up uh, really in any series or anything like these truck races it's going to be interesting and it's going to be slow and it's going to be long and drawn out and we're not going to have we're going to have the same amount of time per race probably about three hours but we're only going to be running about 100 miles because man were there a lot of wrecks and it was just crazy 32 cars 32 trucks I should say start the race and 8 finish 8 trucks were running at the end of the race. And it was just a weird night overall, all around. DGR Crossley, first team with major issues, both trucks simultaneously have front-left failures. What are the odds of that? Pretty darn low that two trucks, even at the same time, would have tire failures at the exact same time, same part of the track and everything. And only those two trucks, when they were you know running in a line at Daytona as they do... But that they were on the same team seemed strange. So there could have been something wrong there, but apparently they both reported hitting debris. That would be David Gillen and Natalie Decker. So who really knows? Um, but David Gillen was able to recover and actually finish, I believe, 10th off the top of my head. But had a great run there in the 17 truck. One person from that team did not have as good a night, and that's actually a bottled-up veteran uh, Natalie Decker, and I tweeted right before the race started, like I believe as they were uh, just pulling out off of pit road, I tweeted out saying, oh, you know, bottled up veteran Natalie Decker is is out on the racetrack, and you know, I hope you're pulling for her and rooting for her just as much as I am. And then like five minutes later, her truck literally caught on fire. It appeared to be some sort of oil fire in the front of the truck, and the flames actually wrapped up and around the A-post and were in the cab with her. So she, you know, getting out of those belts is no easy task. So she got the belts undone, a crew member grabbed her and pulled her out, you know, and they just shot a fire extinguisher. It was kind of funny, actually, from pit road, from the pit lane. She was sitting on pit road. But from behind the wall, they just stood back and just aimed this fire extinguisher and developed, you know, enveloped the whole truck and a couple crew members, actually, in smoke. At the same time, the 28 truck, I believe it was, had some sort of failure in the front right. I believe it was a front right tire went down, and that shot him up the track into Robbie Lyons in the 42, who had a spectacular qualifying run in a really what's just an underfunded team. Their car, or their truck, excuse me, was on fire during qualifying. Their kill switch short-circuited, and there was literally a fire in the cab with him while he was doing qualifying. So I don't know if he just didn't notice or just said, ah, forget it, I'll run through it. But So he had a great qualifying, qualified top 20, and then just boom, right into the wall when the 28 uh, blew the front right and I believe it was a brake rotor, fell out of his truck, and other teams reported hitting it. But because that brake rotor fell out, that truck had no brakes. So it came down pit road, and the jackman for the team jumped in front of this truck with no brakes, and boy, that did not go well for him, um, as, as one can expect. And thankfully, he's, for the most part, okay. He was transported to Halifax uh, Medical Center,
and has a broken shoulder. It it appears that what happened is when he got hit, his arms flailed and the jack just hit him right in the shoulder. Or when he landed, the jack landed on top of him and broke his shoulder. But that's for the uh, fire department in New York team, race team. And so hopefully a uh, speedy recovery for him. Boy, it's been a real uh, great week for Hendrick Motorsports, though, talking about things on the Cup side. We haven't seen too much Xfinity. They've been on track, I believe, for a couple practices, but they've got qualifying in what is now today when this episode will be released and when I'm recording it. So very, very early in the morning Saturday, just so I can have the most up-to-date information for all of you here on Bottled Up because you guys are what drives this show. And no, that's not a race car pun because this is a racing show. It's not a racing pun. But you guys are what drives this show, so I'm trying to get this information out as soon as possible, have it as accurate as possible. So we haven't seen too much Xfinity. I can't really comment too much on it. But things I can comment on, Jeffrey Earnhardt, who was on the show last year racing for Starcom, actually right around this time last year he was on the show, and he raced the Daytona 500 with Starcom Racing in the Double Zero. This year, he's racing in the Xfinity Series for Joe Gibbs Racing. And he's sponsored by, uh... Oh, shoot. I think it's, like, K- uh, K9 Affinity. E- either way, you know, uh, seems to have formed a great partnership with his sponsors, and they are working hand-in-hand together to get him in as many races as possible, and it's going really well. I think he's got... He has the talent... He never really had the budget to be in top-level equipment before, and now that he's sort of getting this help from his sponsors and put that with his talent, he could really go win some races in for a race team that has proven they can win. Has proven they can win, excuse me, Xfinity Series races. So that would be great to see. But on the Cup side, it has been the Hendrick Motorsports show all weekend. Qualifying, single car qualifying. William Byron on the pole. Alex Bowman second. Jimmy Johnson third. Chase Elliott fourth. How about that? The top four fastest cars, all from one team. It's kind of hard to chalk that one up to luck. And I might be biased in that I grew up a Jeff Gordon fan, and I'm going to talk about that a bit more later with the Unrivaled documentary, which is just unbelievably good. I absolutely loved it. I watched it. Uh, I didn't watch it after the duels. I actually ended up doing an iRacing race of 500 miles, and I'll talk about that later as well in my sort of segment at the end where I just wrap everything up and talk about iRacing and sponsors and this and that and the other. But to stay focused, for once we're going to stay focused here, Um, William Byron had an absolutely fantastic car. And what we were expecting to see was him to immediately drop back in the pack, in the duel, because he doesn't need to go out and tear up a 500 car. That car has proven it's the fastest one out there, single car, which doesn't mean much, but it says a lot. It shows that the crew chief, now Chad Knauss, really knows what they're doing. And boy, howdy, does Chad Knauss know how to do well in, uh, you know, in cup cars. So... Instead of actually dropping back, what we saw was William Byron up competing at the front, leading the pack and racing aggressively and making some moves that were 
pretty close and looked more like someone trying to race their way in, similar to Parker Kligerman and Ryan Truex, than someone who was guaranteed to be, you know, the top dog, the first pole position. So, who knows? He did a fantastic job out there, though, brought the car home in one piece, which is exactly what Chad Knauss and Rick Hendred wanted, I'm guessing. I can't speak on their behalf, but I'm pretty sure that bringing home a race car in one piece is a pretty good day for them. Jimmy Johnson had uh, two on-track incidents, and if you listen to the show, then I am sure that you were watching the race, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you're either going, well, he was... You know, it was completely accidental with the with Palmenard and Kyle Busch, or you're saying, boy, that Jimmy Johnson, he's a real bonehead, and, well, you're probably using words different than bonehead that I can't use on this podcast because I don't want to get an explicit rating on iTunes. But he uh, he made a couple of moves that were very aggressive, not very well planned out, and were not very well received by fans or other drivers. Let's say that to put it mildly. Um, in the, in the clash, which was just a money race, he got into Paul Menard and it seemed with that incident that that one was the cars just sucking up to each other, where Johnson went low and made a pretty aggressive move. There's no doubt that it was aggressive, but he knew the rain was coming. He knew his chance to win the race was then and there alone. So he made that move and... I believe the exact words of Fulminar's crew chief was, well, he zigged and we zagged, so we got together and that's all. And Paul, being the one in the car, is going to see it from a different angle. Uh, he was not very happy with Jimmy and, and commented on the fact that if he's a champion, he should know how to make moves like that. And, he, you know, apparently, according to both drivers, the issue is, is over with. Jimmy did call Paul and apologize. Um, I'm highly considering going for like a, a reference to Better Call Saul, you know, Better Call Paul, and and smooth things over. And apparently he did. Um, <laughs> the Kyle Busch incident is a little bit different. That one was, uh, boy, as as a Hendrick Motorsports fan on a personal level, uh, not on the journalism side, it's hard to look at that and say, oh, it's nothing. And well. It was something. It really was something. But also, looking at it from a personal level, I'm not a big Kyle Busch fan um, from a story that I'll tell one of these days on this podcast. Way back in 2012, a young a young Jeff uh, in his Jeff Gordon apparel had a uh, less than favorable encounter with Kyle Busch, and that sort of put me off from the guy for, for many a year. But I'll tell that full story later, and... Uh, it involves sneaking into the garage and this, that, and the other. So I probably shouldn't tell that story. And, you know, it, since I'm con- hoping to get a media pass to Daytona for some time in the future, and on the off chance that someone from Daytona is listening, I don't want that to be uh, uh, a hindering factor. So I'll tell that story at another time. But, yeah, Johnson had his... uh his time, but he ended up winning the clash and doing overall pretty pretty good, I would say. The Hendrick cars are looking strong um, for Sunday's race, and boy, is it going to be... I hesitate to say it's going to be a good one because it seems like every race that you think is going to be a great one, something happens. 
I really think it's going to be a long one. And I think everyone listening can agree on that. It's going to be a long race. And there's been a lot of discussion this week on if the races need to be shortened. And one quote that was very interesting from Denny Hamlin was, "You when you watch the Olympics, you watch the 100-meter dash. You know, you watch these quick events. You don't watch the marathon. And you don't watch you know, these these long, drawn-out events. And that makes sense. But at the same time, on, on a personal level, I, I do think the races right now are a pretty good length. Because you have people going to the track. I know, growing up, this is what we did. We would go, uh, maybe get there Friday night or early Saturday morning, and we would be there at the track all day Saturday, and then get there Sunday, and you would watch a race for three or four hours, and you would, you're paying a lot of money to be there. Race tickets aren't cheap. I think everyone can agree on that. And you want a really good show. And I grew up going to New Hampshire Motor Speedway, and I loved every single race I saw there. And you would go, and you would see 301 laps of action. You really wouldn't get bored. I I think the only person I ever saw fall asleep in the stands, probably just had one too many, um, and physically could not stay awake, and grow, growing up, uh, my, my father would always go to the races with us, always, and, you know, he's not the most interested in NASCAR, you know, he's not the most, uh, interested person in the sport, I would say, that I've ever met, but even he, when he's sitting there at the track, it's got his full attention. So if it's pulling these fans that are on the fence in and you're watching it for 301 laps for a couple hours going, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And, you know, even, he, you know, growing up, my dad never really had a favorite driver. And even still, he would be sitting there rooting and wondering what's going to happen next. And granted, he just rooted for whoever's in first. <laughs> Much to the anger of my brother and I growing up, that was the most annoying thing because we're going, Dad, choose a driver. Just choose someone to root for and root for him every week. And if you had to pinpoint one, uh, I would say Jimmy Johnson. But this is also the guy who uh, last year at New Hampshire Motor Speedway uh, went and bought a Dale Jr. shirt and was very excited about it until we mentioned that Dale Jr. was retired uh, and had been for several months. So... Who knows? But it keeps fans engaged, and that just goes to show. Fans are interested when they're sitting there at the track. They're engaged. And shorter races may hinder that. There might be a little bit more action for, let's say, Daytona, because the race this weekend, it's going to be a freight train. I put out a tweet, and it was a bunch of... (laughs) It was actually pretty funny. It was a bunch of dogs in wagons that were all linked up to each other, you know, a freight train going around in a circle. It's just going to be one long line of cars until it gets to 20 to go, and then it's going to be mayhem. And it's going to be two, three wide, maybe even four wide, who knows. And it's going to be absolutely wild, and it's going to be some of the best racing. It's going to be Talladega from last year, except minus the SHR dominance. And you look at the teams, and maybe it's the track. Maybe Daytona is a little different than Dega. It's a little bit shorter. It's not as wide. But 
you think of Talladega 2018, the fall race, Dega 2018, and the first thing that should come to your mind is Stuart Haas Racing. They were dominant. It was just unbelievable that these four cars could link up and beat 36 other cars. Just these four could beat the other 36 cars and run away with it. And the only reason that they really ever closed up that gap was because of cautions. And that's about it. And they don't have that dominance this year. And that's a lot of up-in-the-air questions. Is it because Hendrick Motorsports dominates Daytona? That's a part of it. Yeah, they do. Hendrick does really well at Daytona. That is just, for whatever reason, everything they do at Daytona works. And it could be that. It could be this new Mustang. It's really going to be interesting to see. And Chevy did well at Daytona last year with their new ZL1. Heck, they won the darn race. And you got to wonder, is that going to be the same story? But after, you know, after the Daytona 500 win last year, Chevy really struggled. They had a rough year. And there's really, it's kind of hard to argue that. You think of the dominant forces last year. Kevin Harvick, Ford, Kyle Busch. Toyota, Martin Truex Jr., Toyota. There wasn't ever really a Chevy where you looked at him every week and said, he's going to be in contention to win. You were looking at the big three. And so this next year, the Mustang, it could go really, really well. I'm not sure. It could go pretty poorly, and that's what I'm, I'm thinking might happen through no fault of Ford. I'm not suggesting this is a bad design or anything, but that first year you take these this giant book of setups that you have for the Ford Fusion, and you can reference it. But for the most part, you're sort of throwing it out the window. The aerodynamics is completely different. You're completely changing the the front end, how air reacts to it, and everything else. Plus. You've got this whole new aero package that is really just throwing a wrench into all the teams, not just one manufacturer over the other. So that could play into Ford's hands because now everyone is in the same boat of what the heck is going on. What are these cars going to do? How do we build a setup that will win a race where it's incredibly difficult to pass? but I'm not going to sit here and harp on the new package or or talk about it extensively. I'm just using it as an example of how this upcoming season may go. And what I'm really excited about coming up now is now I no longer have to speculate. I Ever since I started this podcast in December of last year, I've just been doing nothing but speculating because I started it after the end of the 2018 season, and this is the last podcast where I don't have a race to talk about, which is really good for me, because I'm tired of speculating, truth be told. I absolutely love doing this podcast, which is why I'm awake at this hour doing it, just to get the most up-to-date information. I love interacting with fans on Twitter and talking to everyone and, you know, putting my opinions out there and comparing them to others and having these great discussions that I get to have online. I have the privilege of having and presenting to you guys, but... I'm tired of speculating. I want to get down into actual racing and analyzing because that's what I feel is the most fun. I remember up in New Hampshire having a conversation with Claire B. Lang, um, and we were talking about Denny Hamlin, and everyone was so amazed at how fast Denny was out on track. 
and he put down three just absolutely killer laps. And he was, I believe, like half a mile an hour faster than the guy in second. And he was just dominant. And I remember saying to Claire, boy, he's really fast. And she goes, yeah, I think he's got a really good car. I said, I don't know. Something, something doesn't seem right. And I went and I looked and I was watching the stats. And if you looked at it, Denny Hamlin was running closer to 30th in speed compared to other cars. So he laid down those three really good laps that made everyone think he was the car to beat. And I said, and I remember saying to Claire, I think by lap maybe 20, he's really going to be struggling. And she said, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. And come race time, Denny Hamilton did not have uh, that great of a weekend. And I, I truly do think it wasn't because of anything breaking on the car or anything going bad or bad adjustments or anything by his crew chief at the time, Mike Wheeler. It really was this setup that he had was good for a couple laps, and that's about it. So the point of all that being, I really enjoy the statistics side of it. I love looking at the data and trying to find where the pattern is. And now that I will be able to do that on the podcast and analyze these things and, and present them to you, it's almost like a presentation here that I do every week, like a 21 to 25-minute presentation of what I found. It's like a class project of sorts. And getting to talk about that, I'm, I'm really excited for it. And so I think more great things are coming for this podcast. I can assure you that behind the scenes, there's still a lot of work going on. But I did promise earlier in the episode I was going to talk about Jeff Gordon versus Dale Earnhardt, that that documentary Unrivaled. And it was just, I watched it today, and oh my goodness, was it incredible. I, I grew up and got interested in the sport probably in about, my first race was 2009, I know that, it was the uh, Sylvania 301 in fall of 2009, September 20th, or 21st, I believe it was off the top of my head if I'm remembering it correctly, don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure it was September 20th, 2009, was that race, and that was my first ever NASCAR race, Mark Martin won it, it was his last ever career win, I believe, and I remember walking out, and I was, I was happy to have gotten to see the race, but also upset that Jeff Gordon didn't win. And I, I remember just that that feeling of, well, maybe he'll win the next one. Uh, the next one I go to. And then being excited that, you know, going back to more races and everything else. And that was when I first started being a fan. And I wasn't even born until 1998. And this whole rivalry between Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt got... I learned today, got very, very heated way before, and it was just this clash of culture between young, new racer Jeff Gordon and old, intimidating, not old, but, you know, the seasoned veteran, the intimidator, the man in black, Dale Earnhardt. And in contrast to that, you have the young, you know, the fresh-faced, and he's got this bright rainbow car, Jeff Gordon, and he's fast, and he can win, and that was just, I, I guess that was uh, the only way to intimidate the intimidators, is to beat them, and it was just, if you haven't watched it, it's available on Fox Sports Go, it, it's an hour with commercials, you can skip through the commercials on Fox Sports Go, and it's just really, really incredible, um, one of the best 40, I'd say probably about 50 minutes of content 
that I've seen. The ending that they had was spectacular, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but please, do yourself a favor. Learn this part of the history of the sport. It's well worth it. It is truly incredible to watch. One last thing I do want to talk about here is I know we've now gone over the truck race and the Xfinity race is happening what's now today um, when this episode releases. So with that, I think it's important to watch these smaller series, to watch the truck series every week. And I'm I'm extremely excited for this upcoming race. You know, the uh, the 22nd of February, uh, Friday at Atlanta. It's going to be pretty incredible for the first time in in, in my life. I'm going to be watching a friend race, someone that I've talked to, I've I've raced on iRacing with. Um, to see him behind the wheel, he's actually been on the show, Anthony Alfredo. He's going to be driving at Atlanta in the truck series for DGR Crossley. I'm beyond excited to watch it. I know he is beyond excited to be racing in it. So, please do yourself a favor. Watch more trucks. Watch more truck racing. Those guys are fighting with everything they have to make their names, cement their names in history, and then go on to the Xfinity of the Cup. It's incredible racing. And we get now to see a NASCAR Next alumni make his first start and run a part-time schedule. Um, Anthony is on, on and off the track truly a fantastic guy. And I can say that with 100% honesty, having texted the guy, raced with him on iRacing, and just talked to him a lot. He's a he, the, the side of him that you see on social media where he streams and everything else, that's really him. That is... 100% genuine and it's so great to see these personalities that are personable with fans that you know will talk to people will stream themselves when they're playing video games just to have another chance to talk to people more to talk to the fans that put him in the position that he's in so that he can race it's really incredible to see we need more personalities in the sport similar to him and I'm not just saying this because he's a friend you know, he's a friend because I can say things like this. That I can say, this guy is talented, he's good, now he's getting the break that he deserves. So, I'm excited to see it. I hope you all will be watching as well for this upcoming truck race. He's doing a couple others. Check out his website, check out his social media and all that to find out what races he's doing during the season. And... Wow, we're already at about 27 minutes, so I'm going to start wrapping things up here. I mentioned earlier, um, I'm still doing iRacing all the time. If you ever want to race with me, let me know. Just you know, shoot me a message on Twitter, whatever, tweet at me, uh, at Bottled Up Radio. I'm having an absolute blast on iRacing. I've started up a team, McConey Motorsports. It's been around for a while. I race every Friday night in the iRacing E-Series. So if you're ever looking for something to watch on Friday nights, uh, at 8.35 p.m. Eastern, the broadcast starts. It's the iRacing E-Series broadcasted by LCTV Broadcasting. Our broadcaster, Lucas, does a fantastic job. Very competitive racing. whole ton of fun. I absolutely love it. Anthony races there, too. So you have professional drivers. You have rookie drivers. I'm in there, wherever, whatever you would classify me as on there. 
I did, I did a 500-mile race actually yesterday and today, so that's about 1,000 miles at Daytona in the past two days, and it's just an absolute blast. I'd love to start racing with uh, listeners of the podcast more. If anyone makes a bottled-up paint scheme, I will be more than happy to run it. I think that would be the coolest thing, but again, I always sort of wrap up the episodes with this. If you've got any sort of commentary on the show, you like it, you don't like it, you want to see someone on the show, you want to see less of someone on the show, what have you, whatever your thoughts on the show are, on Bottled Up, are, just let me know. Tweet at me at Bottled Up Radio. I say it every week. I'm a big guy. I'm, I'm an adult. I can take your criticism. So tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. Because at the end of the day, it is you guys that allow me to continue to sit here in my dorm room and just go on these these talks for however many minutes, 29 minutes now almost, and just talk and get my thoughts out and upload them online and have people listen. And that's the coolest thing is that I'm putting these thoughts out that I've been having for years about racing, and now I have the the platform to put them out for people to listen and to get to interact with you guys about it is really cool. So I hope you guys will all be watching this weekend. I'm sure you'll all be watching the Daytona 500. It's going to be a fantastic race. It might be a little slow at times. Well, I guess slow isn't the right word to describe race cars, is it? At least hopefully not. But the racing might be, uh, they might freight train themselves and just be running in one long line and whoever's in front is going to be burning quite a bit of fuel. But those last 20 laps, when it gets real... It's going to be really, really cool to watch. And whoever's going to be hoisting that trophy at the end of the Daytona 500 is going to... They're going to be making history one way or another. Plus, they'll be locked in the playoffs. It's going to be really cool to see. I'm trying to hit half an hour on the dot. So I really hope you all enjoyed this episode of Bottled Up Radio. And tune in next week every Saturday.